0: So, we are in 1 Corinthians 13 here, and we are just a few weeks away from finishing this chapter. We're going to do 13 this week, 14 next week. Then we have Youth Sunday the following week, and then we'll come back and do 1 Corinthians 15 before we go into Advent, right? Celebrating the incarnation of Jesus and the coming of the kingdom in him. So, 1 Corinthians 13, some of you are going, oh, wow, the wedding passage, right? Am I right? I'm not mind reading. I just know. Amanda and I have been talking about this all week. It's a beautiful passage to read at weddings, but it's not a wedding passage. Yes, you can read it there, and it's a celebration of God's love that is shared between us in relationships of all kinds, but this is a word for the church at Corinth. And it's a word for some people that have got spiritual gifts and their own spirituality wrong. That's what it is. And so we're gonna look at it in this context. If you think about what Mike was sharing last week, 1 Corinthians 12 was about the body of Christ and the variety of gifts. And then we'll see next week, chapter 14 is about Spiritual gifts about prophecy and tongues and right order in the church and what's sandwiched right between these two chapters. Chapter 13. So what Paul is doing, he's giving apostolic instruction on the tenor, the soil, the disposition that we're supposed to have as empowered people of God in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So that is the context for 13 it's placed in this context and Paul really does we'll see this next week especially he affirms their zeal for spiritual gifts these people are ready to go they're ready to prophesy share the word of the Lord they're ready to speak in tongues but Paul is saying whoa 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 let me show you the soil in which spiritual gifts blossom and it's love it's the love of God And he's trying to get their attention to see if they get this right. The gifts only get stronger. And this is true for us as well. I've titled this The Way of Love because what Paul is laying out here is a whole way of life. Yes, he's addressing spiritual gifts, but he's also saying this is the way life is lived in the kingdom of God. These 13 verses describe to us we are kingdom people and this is the way we look. This is the way we smell. This is the way we act. We are loving people. We're an army, yes, but we're an army of love. And so Paul is laying this out, and he's explaining that love is the mortar that binds us together as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Love is what brings us together. And so I want us to look briefly at three aspects of love described in this passage so that we can grow in it. That's the beauty of this passage as well, is it's an invitation to grow daily in love. If I were to ask you, how many of you have arrived? You are where you are, you think you should be in love. There shouldn't be a hand going up. I would say, I'm not there. I want to grow daily and thank you, Lord, that each day is a new start. I get to start tomorrow morning and your love is new for me and I get to grow in love. So let's do this. I want us to read these sections. There's three of them. We're going to read one to three and then four to seven and then eight through 13 and make a few comments. So verses one through three, first Corinthians 13, I'm reading from the new revised standard again. Why that version? Because in my opinion, it's probably the most accurate translation. So I want to make that little side comment. NIV, wonderful. I grew up on that New American Standard, but New Revised is what I'm reading from. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions... And if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. So what Paul is saying here is he's talking about the absolute necessity of love. Love is essential in particular to the practice of the spiritual gifts. And they were raring to go. They wanted to practice the gifts. And Paul says, hey, yes, you're called to practice these gifts. The gift of tongues. The Greek word is glossolalia. Let's say that together. Glossolalia. Greek word for the day. So Paul is saying, yes, keep practicing that. But if it is not coming from a person and place of love, then it's off the mark. I do want to make abundantly clear, I I grew up in a cessationist environment. Um, I grew up in a church that believed the gifts of the Spirit had ceased and there was all kinds of controversy around the gifts, especially tongues. And part of that is because of the excess in the 50s, 60s, and 70s that certain people in the church said, you have to speak in tongues to demonstrate that you're a true Christian or that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is unbiblical, obviously. So what Paul is doing here is he's saying, Yes, you will speak in the tongues of men or tongues of mortals and angels. And basically what he's saying is all spirit-inspired speech that is going on has to be coming from a heart of love. Otherwise, what does it sound like, church? Verse one, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I always picture a trash can lids banging together. Boom, boom, boom. If you are demonstrating how spiritual you are, speaking in tongues, I'm prophesying, I'm doing all of these spiritual activities and I want other people to know I am like a couple of trash can lids banging together. Without love, it's noise. So Paul is addressing this with them and what he's calling them to do is to discover that in spite of abusing tongues and prophecy, he wants them to rediscover love. Now the word he uses here, he could have picked several different words, but he uses agape. Some of you have heard that and it's really the kind of love that God demonstrates. And it's the kind of love that God shows us and then we get to participate in it and show it to other people. He could have picked another word, maybe eros or philia, something like that, but he chose agape, so it's got kind of a divine quality to it. To give you an example here, I have agape In my heart for Amanda. And she, hopefully. Do you still have agape for me this morning? I have Eros for the cookies and cream ice cream that I want to eat tonight. I long for it. I like it. But it's it's very, very different than what the affection and the commitment and the covenantal love that Amanda and I have. I have philia for watching pro tennis, but it's very different than agape love. So what Paul is inviting them into, this covenantal, God-oriented language, is very different. And again, he's pointing out some of the things, prophecy, gift of tongues, and he is inviting them to focus more clearly on becoming people of love. We're not going to go into all the details. This is such a nuanced argument that Paul is presenting here. He's talking about giving away his possessions, handing over his body. Basically, what he's saying here is all spiritual activity without love is noise. It amounts to nothing. I want to read a quote here from Gordon Fee. Mike and I have been referencing him because he's one of the great scholars on 1 Corinthians. And listen to what he says here. What is at stake in this passage is not the activity without love, but the person doing the activity. All of these are good things. What is not good is religious performance, gifts on display by someone who is not otherwise acting as described in the next paragraph. Listen to what Fee says. It is not a matter of these things or love, Or even these things motivated by love, but these things by a person whose life is given to love. So as we give ourselves to the Lord, and we want spiritual gifts blazing among us, we want to prophesy, we want to speak in tongues, we also want the Lord forming us into people of love. Looking at this passage, I couldn't help but think of an old friend of mine who actually died this year, an old prophet named Paul Cain. Some of you are familiar with the ups and downs of Paul Cain's ministry. And his prophetic gift was stunning. And I had an opportunity to meet Paul and become his friend in 1992, and we were friends up to the day that he died. And his life testifies to what Paul is talking about here. Paul knew the secrets of people's hearts. It was much like uh, what you would see with Elijah or Elisha in the Old Testament. He would tune into conversations in the White House or at the UN, and he would bring the word of the Lord to world leaders on a consistent basis. And the Lord would whisper to him the secrets of people's hearts, and people were lined up to his dying day, he had interaction with people all over the planet, including Netanyahu in Israel. So the Lord used this guy powerfully. I remember my first trip. I got to go to Singapore with him in 1992, and I had heard all about Paul and his prophetic gift, but now I got to see it firsthand. We were at a restaurant, we're sitting there with some friends, and Paul grabbed his side as our waitress came up. I said, Paul, what is going on? And he goes, she's got kidney trouble. And I said, really? He lived like that. So sure enough, we asked the waitress if she had kidney trouble, and her eyes were as big as saucers. And she said, how did you know? And Paul was able to minister to her. He lived in that realm, the Lord whispering things to him. You can imagine how burdensome that would be. On that same trip, friends, Um, Paul was giving me some advice. I was in a a relationship and I was getting Paul's uh, input and he ended up sharing some really challenging things with me, so what did I do? I went to my hotel room and cried. (laughs) Sitting with a prophet uh, makes you uncomfortable sometimes. So I went straight to my hotel room and began to cry and process because what he said was right on. And I called my parents in the middle of the night. Called back in Oklahoma said I just had a conversation with Paul he laid my heart open and <laughs> hung the phone up instantly when I put the phone in the cradle my phone rang the hotel phone it was Paul he had heard my conversation and he relayed to me he goes I hope that your parents aren't mad at me and he was like a little boy he heard the whole conversation And he said, can you just make clear to them? I really, you know, I love them. He's very childlike. So I watched, friends, the prophetic gift operate firsthand, and I got to see it for almost 30 years. It's the real deal. The Lord spoke to him. Story after story, I could tell of these kinds of things. Why do I share that? For several reasons. One is I want us to have faith that God speaks, one, and that God will take people like that oftentimes to jolt and be like a lightning rod in the church. I still speak. and But what, in pondering this passage and the life of Paul, love is what matters most. As profound as Paul's gift was, his life was hard. And part of it is because he wasn't embraced in a local church where he could experience what we're talking about right here. Day-to-day love, unimpressed love, wrapping arms around Paul and saying, you have a significant gift, but we love you as a person. And so Paul and I really over the last 15 years would talk about this. And he finally found a local church in Santa Maria, his hometown in California, where he could belong and they weren't impressed with him. And he was just an ordinary broken guy. And they're the ones that took care of him in his last 15 years. But the key lesson is no matter how profound the spiritual gift is, love is always most important. Do you agree? So I want us to think about that. We want to, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, strive, seek to grow in the power of the Holy Spirit, and have the gifts displaying the glory of God. As Mike said last week, the gifts always say, Jesus is Lord. So the gift of prophecy should announce Jesus is Lord. He's king. He's here. He saves. All of the gifts announce those things. In the end, love is most important. A second thing, verses 4 through 7. Let's look at these quickly here. Paul says about love, this ongoing meditation, the love of God. And what I want you to think about here, you could insert God or the name of Jesus in a passage like this. It's really a meditation on the character of God, who God is, how Christ embodies the character of God. So listen to this, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So what Paul is doing here, he makes two positive statements describing love. Then he makes eight negative statements, what it's not. And then he makes four more positive statements. So he is hammering away with 14 statements about God's love. What's interesting, do you see the name of God or Christ mentioned here? Look at the text. Theologians and commentators have marveled over this. Why isn't he mentioning God or Christ or spirit? We're not sure. But I wonder if perhaps Paul is saying to the church at Corinth and to us, as you absorb the love of God, you become a living picture of this in your life. You become like an icon or an illustration of the love of God. And so Paul's inviting them to step into these 14 statements. I only want to comment on two. Can we do that? No way we would look at all 14 of these. But I want to look at two of them in these verses. And one is when Paul says, love does not insist on its own way. It is not self-seeking. So I want us to think about today and this week, and the coming weeks, and the coming months, what can we do in practical ways to put someone else before us? Some of you are saying, I do that all the time, 24-7. I live completely selflessly, right? Divine sarcasm there. I'm inviting you in a very practical way, informed by this text, try it this next week. Lord, I want to put this person before me, even if it hurts, even if it's costly, I'm going to give preference to them. I'm going to eat where they want to eat. I'm going to do what they want to do. I'm going to let them go first. I'm going to take the smaller slice of pizza, whatever it is, start putting someone before you as often as you can. And what do you think happens as you do that? The love of God begins to course through you. I wish I were better at this. Second thing here I want us to look at, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, and the text is getting at, it does not keep a record of wrongs. This is Paul saying that love does not keep a scorecard. Hmm, she did this. Note taken. When it comes time to get her back, I'm going to not forget that. Ah, he just said that hurtful thing to me. Put that on your card. Put it back in my pocket. Paul is saying love takes that little card and rips it up. Forgive. Is that difficult work? Yes. I have several scorecards in my pockets right now, friends that I'm saying, Lord, help me. Please take those scorecards out and shred them. I need your help. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. So Paul is meditating on the nature of love here and inviting people into the love of God. I thought of my Grandma Marion the whole time I read this passage. This was her favorite passage. She died a few years ago, almost 100 years old. And those of us who knew Grandma Marion Bingaman, can hold their finger up like this. Kathleen Blue is doing it. The Duncans are. She would hold her finger up like this and say, love never fails. That woman lived into this passage more than anyone I know. And her life was hard. She had a daughter who actually caught on fire in an oven uh, debacle and burned her body from head to toe, and her daughter had heart issues that ended up leading to brain damage, and so my grandmother lived taking care of her adult daughter her whole life, and this woman knew the nature of love, and when she would come around, she would minister and pray for people and give them encouragement, but she would take that arthritic finger and point to someone and say, love never fails. So on All Saints Day, I acknowledge my grandma, Marian Bingaman, who's up there with the Lord Jesus, probably waving her finger right now, who lived into this passage. A third thing here before we have some ministry time. Paul talks about the permanence of love. Let's read verses 8 through 13. He's looking at the never-ending life of love that flows from the heart of God. Paul says this, love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these is love. So Paul's talking about the permanence of love in these verses here. And again, the problem he's addressing is the church thinks that they've arrived. They've grown beyond love. In their hyper-spirituality. And Paul says, no, 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 no. And what he's doing here is often misunderstood. Some people will take a passage like this and say, the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased with the death of the apostles. And so we've moved from the childish things of the gifts to the more mature things of love. Fundamental misreading of this passage, completely If you go back and read the first 500 years of interpretation on this passage, the early church fathers, none of them say that. None of them. What Paul is saying here, and stick with me on this, what Paul is saying here, he's talking about now and then. Paul is saying now is the time for the spiritual gifts to operate, for us to take our little flashlights and shine them on the path of life and onto other people and onto ourselves. It's called the spiritual gifts. And they will operate until when? What does the text say here? What do you think that is? The complete. It is the second coming of Christ. When completion comes to the kingdom, the kingdom is fully consummated and all things are made new. That is what he's talking about. So in the meantime, we have our flashlights, but the day is coming, as the text says, when the sun will rise in all of its fullness, and we won't need our flashlights anymore. That's what Paul is saying here. So it's about now, this era, this age, and the age to come that will be initiated with the second coming of our Lord powerful passage, and when it's read that way, it shows all kinds of new light and revelation. I put an image up here because I think oftentimes I look at a passage like this and I say, Amanda, tell me what needs to be addressed in a passage like this. So we were talking about, can you put the image up of those ancient mirrors? And what Paul is getting at here is he's saying that now when the gifts are active, Tongues, revealing a bit of who God is. Prophecy, revealing the heart of God. It is like looking in an ancient mirror. Maybe difficult to see, but on the lower left there is this bronze mirror. And that was actually predating Christ about a hundred years. But they would take a piece of bronze and they would sand it. And then they would buff it and buff it and put oil on it and buff it. And you would actually have a decent reflection of your face probably, so you could fix your hair and do different things. And on the right there, it's difficult to see, that's a, another ancient mirror. It's a piece of volcanic rock that they, and you can see, do you see faintly in there? What do you see? Some of you are going, I can't see anything. I need to go to Tyler Glaze and get my eyes checked. What, what do you see there? Yeah, a faint image of this woman's face who's holding it. So what Paul is saying in this age, now, the church age, until Christ comes, we see in a mirror dimly. Thank God for that image. Thank God for the flashlights to see. But the day is coming when Paul says, verse 12, what's he say? This is staggering. Now we see in a mirror, but then we'll see face-to-face. Face. It's almost blasphemous. Wait, does your, does your text say face-to-face to face too? we got someone with the NIV in here? Face-to-face, face, right? N-A-S-B, face-to-face. Face. So what Paul is doing as a good Jewish leader, he's referencing Numbers 12, where the Lord would talk to Moses face-to-face. And so what Paul is saying here is the whole church, all believers, will see the Lord directly. Not through a glass darkly, but you will have direct face-to-face interaction with the Father and the Son. 1 John 3 says this. 1 John 3, 2-3. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this, when he is revealed, we will be like him for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in themselves, they purify themselves just as he is pure. So Paul is telling the church, gaze upon the glory of God in the face of Jesus now. Go as deep as you possibly can in this. Look into that mirror. Contemplate him. But the day is coming when you'll see him face-to-face, and you'll be transformed into his image. It's what we look forward to. This week I was thinking about uh, a story that I had heard years ago about uh, an old prophet. And this prophet had all kinds of unusual experiences, but one time he had a vision. And in this vision, He was allowed to see what it might be like in the age to come. And he watched people who were lining up to stand before the Lord and see him as he is. And he saw some people and he was puzzled. Some people were covered in whiskey bottles, some people were covered in pills, some people were covered in pornography. And he was puzzling. He was like, What is happening? And he knew in this moment, these people are taking with them what they loved most into the age to come. And he was depressed as he was watching this happen. And then he saw this woman, and she was going to meet the Lord, and she was surrounded by a hundred angels, singing gloriously, and she was dancing. And he said, This woman is very different than that whole line of other people I'm seeing. And when she stood before the Lord, the Lord asked her, did you learn to love? And she threw her hands up and said, yes, Lord, I learned to love. And this old prophet was bawling his eyes out as he saw this. And the Lord turned to him and said, have you learned to love? And so I think this text is an invitation to that, to you, to me. Are we learning to love? That's what the Lord's going to ask us. Not, hey, how was your prophetic gift? You're going to stand before the Lord. Hey, you're a great teacher. How did that teaching gift go during those 65 years? Hey, I noticed you were really hospitable. No, the Lord is going to say, did you learn to love? So Lord, help us with that. As we look at this and conclude here, the necessity of love, the nature of love, the permanence of love, I want us to think about, we can't muster up love for other people. Paul has been talking over and over again in this letter to the Corinthians, everything is by grace. Is that right? He says in 1 Corinthians 8, what do we have that we have not received, including love? He's not laying anything on the church, muster up love. Uh, you got to wring it out of your heart like a wash rack. No, he's saying in this passage, get under the waterfall of God's love. You've got to be loved in order to love, is what Paul is saying here. Get under the waterfall. His river is flowing with love and passion and affection for us all the time. Thanks be to God. He wants this more than you do. More than I do. The Lord is committed to growing us in love and in the power of the Holy Spirit more than than we are. So, Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the way of love that you lay out before us. And I ask that you would grow us out of your kindness, your goodness your fatherly affection for us, that you would grow us in your love for your glory. Why don't we stand?